Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, there is a lot going on in the world today, so we have a lot to talk about. It's a little busy out there. It's a little busy. The stock market is going through some serious gyrations, so we're going to start off talking about that, aren't we? We are. We're going to kind of talk about, you know, you hear the economy is doing well, low unemployment, and, you know, the stock market doesn't like that. And um, we're we're going to go into the reasons why it's been a little volatile uh, lately and, um, you know, kind of some things that you can do in your situation to kind of get through these bumpy times. It's pretty normal when you look back. I mean, we're not in any wars and, you know, we don't have things collapsing around us. So these earnings conversations that we're having are are very normal and they're actually, uh, they're good conversations to have. That's true. That's true. It takes a little patience. So uh, we'll talk about that, but it opens up some doors to opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll talk about those. Um, and then we're going to talk about inheritance tax strategies. You know, if you've inherited money recently or have uh, inheritance coming in the near future, you know, there are some serious tax concerns with that. There's some opportunities and there's also some some pitfalls that you can fall into. So you got to be careful. We're going to go through that very important topic as well. But by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. That's where you can locate the podcast. We have a, a link to a, a couple hundred uh, from the historical standpoint, a lot of videos, a lot of calculators. Check out our website. We have a lot of information out there. Also a Facebook page, MoneyMD, and also a Twitter handle, MoneyMD, that Matthew's kind of manning right now. So we're <clears throat> lots of places out there on the internet, and we'd love to hear from you. So email us your questions. You can email us directly at info at MoneyMD.net. Well, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Well, we have some good news for 2019. That's good. Yeah. So yeah, we need some good news. We do. We do. Social Security has said they will increase the uh, your paycheck by 2.8%. And um, that's the largest amount since 2012. Yeah, that's great news. I mean, particularly for folks that are living off fixed income and retirement, um, you know, they're getting a decent raise this year. In the past, it's in the past four or five years, I guess, it's been a very paltry yeah. increase. In some cases it's been zero, but yes. 2.8%, um, you know, the, the, the average social security check is about $1,400. So it'll increase by, um, about 40 bucks per month next year. So mm-hmm. dinner, <clears throat> dinner out. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. But it helps. I mean, cost it has gone up. But you know, I mean, that kind of reminds me though, why it's important for you if you're headed to retirement to have more than just a pension and Social Security in retirement. You know, you need a 401k, you need savings, you need some place you can go draw extra money whenever your expenses go up because Social Security doesn't get a big increase and pensions usually get zero increase mm-hmm. That's right. every year. So, you know, when you get to retirement, you need some flexibility. You need to have Roth IRAs, you need to have a 401k, you need to have other places you can draw money and make up the difference for that increases in your cost of living every year. But this year, fortunately, Social Security is going to keep up with it pretty pretty well. 
So that's good news. All right. And that leads up to our first topic here about the stock market and, you know, where we are with with the economy, right, John? Yeah, this comes from uh, Charles Schwab. Great, great article. Um, and the the topic is, is, you know, things seem to be going well from an economic standpoint. So why are stocks volatile? And Steve, we've seen another volatile week. And really, the whole month has been that way, you know, adding more twists and turns to the drama that uh, is October. And we've seen this in October in the past. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, stocks were setting records, you know, after a fairly smooth rise during the summer. Um, some of the broader indexes, had hit historic highs uh, coming into October, but now you know, like the S and P 500 index um, is down about six percent for the month, and um, you know some some investors are looking and uh, questioning: Is this the end of the ten-year bull market? So you know, the question is: Is it the end? No one knows, obviously, right? Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> so I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, call equities dead yet. Yeah, you know, right. uh, we, we've heard that before, right? You know, stock market's dead; it's never coming back. I mean, some of the famous headlines, you know, from decades past. Um, that might be a little premature. I mean, yes, bull markets, you know, they, they have legs, upsides, downsides, um, they have surprises. You never can predict it, even though it's, it has been a 10 year bull market. There have been lots of corrections along the way. Heck, we had a correction beginning of this year That's right. in, in February, January and February this year. So this is not that unusual. And so, um, you know, you can't you can't count it out. Um, the, the recent action in the stock market just illustrates once again why it's important for you to remain disciplined and diversified um, <clears throat> in a way that's consistent with your your risk tolerance and your investment goals. I mean, you can't time these gyrations. There is no cons- consistent pattern throughout history of when bull markets end and when bear markets start. Um, so you have to avoid playing that game. You have to stay diversified and stay invested in your in your strategy for the long term. Yeah, and Steve, I mean, the recent market volatility doesn't really seem to 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 go along with the good news in the economy we see out there. I mean, you know, growth has been solid. Unemployment rate is um, the lowest it's been in decades. <clears throat> Excuse me. We see wages. Uh, finally starting to tick higher um, after muddling along for like 15 years. Corporate earnings uh, still looking, you know, pretty good. There's a large chunk of companies that have reported third quarter third quarter results, um, beating analyst expectations. And you know, there's a, a lot of strong earnings that happened last week, and we had some this week with Boeing and so forth. That you know, so the companies are doing pretty well. You get positive news coming out, and then you see the stock market, and um, it's not doing so well this month. Right, <clears throat> right. Yeah, I mean, it's a painful year a little bit. You know, this. This is our second, you know, significant dip this year. Um, but for people that are adding money to the portfolio, if you're still working, this is good news, mm-hmm. right? Because you're buying more shares. That's you're, right. It's an opportunity to put more money in if you have money that's sitting on the sidelines. And the money you are putting in consistently is, are buying more shares, and it will increase your return long term by having some money go in during this dip. You know, I mean, of course, the stock market, though, it, it prefers to look ahead. It's a leading economic indicator. And, you know, there are some signs that the data may not be as good going forward, um, but it's that, that's kind of expected. I mean, 20% earnings growth can't continue forever. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've had a great year with earnings growth, and we had some great economic indicators like unemployment at 3.7%, lowest 49-year history, <laughs> you know, with unemployment. Those things can't continue forever. Um 
So but the stock market looks at those leading indicators. It looks down the road. It's a leading indicator. It looks way down the road. And so it tends to change before the economy changes. And, and there are some signs that things may be deteriorating a little bit in the future, as you would expect. Um, and auto and home sales, for example, have been weakening a little bit. So the analysts are already predicting a little bit of a slowdown next year. But that that is normal. I mean, when you take a really good year like we've had this year, next year, the year-over-year change, you know, it can't go up at this rate forever. So when you start comparing next year to this year, which was already great mm-hmm. in terms of the economy, it's not going to look as good. That's just a fact of life. That's right. That's right. And there's some other things that are kind of um, raising its head, rising bond yields. Uh, the trade concerns are still out there. Bond yields have surged in recent weeks, and um, and they're doing so because they're accounting for stronger economic growth and the fact that central banks are are slowly bringing down the, uh, the the easy money policy that they've had. And so, why does this spook stock investors? And the reason is, is Treasury yields are the baseline rate that is used to value other financial assets. So, when the yields on Treasuries rise. They compete with the returns from other assets. So there's just different choices out there. And also when, when bond, bond yields rise, um, when bond prices fall. And uh, so the sell-off in bonds could reflect some concern that central banks uh, could raise some interest rates too fast um, in their bid to keep the economy from overheating. You know, rising rates, Steve, as we know, make borrowing more expensive, and they'll slow down the economic growth. So there's a balance in raising these rates and keeping the economic growth, you've you've seen Trump out there right. at battle with the Federal Reserve oh, this yeah, week he hates because it, yeah. he doesn't like them raising the rates because it's going to put a damper on the growth. That's right, and no president likes it when they're raising rates. I mean, Bush didn't like it in two thousand and four when the Fed was raising rates, and you know for good reason. It does hurt their numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no doubt it slows down the economy. It increases borrowing costs for the government, so it increases deficits. Um, you know, those are all things presidents are measured by, so they don't like the Fed <laughs> raising rates, but it is a necessary part of the process. And the good news is the Fed raising rates is a is a kind of predetermined, um, you know, cycle. It, it will not go on forever. Um, they're expecting about another 1% increase over the next year. Um, they've been raising it very slowly now for several years, and, you know, it's they're not going to raise it continually unless the economy really did overheat. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to, you know, if the economy stays good, they're going to raise rates till they get back to what they consider neutral. And then they're going to stop for a while, just like they did back in 2005 or some it was around that period that the Fed stopped raising rates in the last cycle. And we had a couple really good years in the market. So, you know, I mean, this is this is not that unusual, and um, but there are some other things out there. I mean, trade has been top of the mind, and while one source of uncertainty was resolved with the reno- renegotiation of the trade agreement with Canada, Mexico, and the United States, the tensions between the United States and China remain high, and that's added a lot of uncertainty to the stock market. You know, and the two sides continue to kind of swap harsh words, and there's these new tariffs that have been coming out. Um, so all of that has been put some pressure on on the stock market, um, and particularly international stocks. So uh, and that could make it more expensive, and, and has made it more expensive for some goods and services, um, and for some companies. So yeah, and and another thing I think you mentioned this earlier is <clears throat> the stock market could be anticipating the um, 
the end of the uh, slashing of the ta- corporate tax rates, right? So when right. you start doing the year-over-year comparison, um, you just can't do that uh, forever, right? No, you can't. <clears throat> so 2017, you're comparing it to 2016 um, and, and 2018 over 2017. So uh, the, the year-over-year com- comparisons just don't hold. That's just a fact, right? That's right. They don't. They don't. And the same thing on the other side. I remember back uh, whenever we went to the recession – Back in, I don't know, 2009, um, and they were talking about a double-dip recession, and I was looking at the numbers saying, well, that's kind of impossible because you're comparing it now to some really horrible numbers. So year over year, for it to continue to be negative GDP growth is kind of inconceivable, and it's the same thing on the positive side. It, it can't can, these numbers can't continue to grow forever, right? So you got to stay stay disciplined. You know these day to day swings in in the market um, are extremely difficult, if not impossible, to predict. It's it's important to stick to your long term asset allocation and and um, you know look at your risk and make sure you're comfortable with that. But uh, here's some things that you can do next. Yeah, so one of them is um, you know just recognize it's nearly impossible to time the market. Um, and you, you generally, it is much healthier for your portfolio if you resist the urge to sell, you know, based on any recent market movements. Um, so there are some things you might consider doing, though. One of them is revisit your plan and reacquaint yourself with your investment goals and your objectives. You know, know where you're, where you're headed. Update your retirement plan. Know that you're on track. Focus on your plan, not on what your investments are doing. Yeah, another one is is look at your risk tolerance. Um, <clears throat> not sure that you'd change it right now, but make sure you understand what it is. Look at rebalancing your portfolio. I mean, you know, during periods of volatility, it can make sense to rebalance your portfolio to get it back to the long term. You know, asset allocations. Um, you know, rebalancing regularly can also help manage your portfolio risk. You know, if you have bonds in your portfolio, um, you know, maybe sell some bonds and go buy some stocks. I mean, Absolutely. you know, some things are down. You look at the international markets, there's some pretty good deals out there. We don't know when it's going to turn around, but these, these you know, volatility that we've seen is, is pretty normal. And as always, if you have questions, reach out to us. Um, you know, we're going to be doing a, a video here pretty soon for our clients and uh, sending that out with some more information. But uh, if you have questions, certainly we're, we're here to help. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. And that's what your advisor's there for if you're working with somebody else. So definitely reach out to us. Um, And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question came actually from a a, a prospect meeting that I had this last week. And um, uh, they had some extra money uh, every month. They weren't spending it. And so the question is, is should they put it towards retirement or pay off their house? And they're already putting 15% towards retirement and they're on track and so forth. So in their case, you know, paying off the house at that point is a good option. Um, sure. You know, if you want to go out and, and splurge a little bit and take a nice vacation, then go do that. It's okay to spend some money as long as you have your goals. They had their emergency fund. They had no debt other than their mortgage kind of following the Dave Ramsey, you know, baby steps. So they yeah. had the baby step four, which was 15% for retirement done. So I recommended they kind of start focusing on the house and getting that paid off early is just going to open up options of retiring early. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, just to go back and revisit kind of your priorities that for a normal person would be, you know, step one, you know, make sure you have a great emergency fund, right? You got to have that three to six months emergency fund, you know, step two, make sure you're getting your match and your 401k plan. You have to get the match That's free money. But then beyond that, you know, what do you do with extra money? Well, you could fully fund a Roth. That would be kind of our next priority for you. If you're if you're able to do that, if if that uh, you qualify for a Roth, 
Um, next, you know, you can put more in your 401k plan, make sure you're getting up to that 15% toward retirement, as John mentioned. But then beyond that, yes, paying off your house early would be a great priority. So it sounds like these folks are already on that path. They are. Um, But those are kind of the order of priority that you want to want to use your money for on your road to retirement and financial, you know, stability and success. So great question of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is inheritance tax strategies. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah, Thanks. this this could feel a little boring, you know, I mean, for folks that don't have an inheritance. Unless maybe. you're inheriting, that's right. Then but you're if you're like, inheriting money, this is very interesting. Very important, so very important. Pay attention. And then, you know, someday you probably will inherit money. So, uh, you know, there's some important tidbits in here, and it applies to other things too, not just inheritance. So you want to pay attention here. But anyway, this is based on an article out of U.S. News and World Report, um, Susanna Snyder, here recently. And, uh, but you know, although inheritance taxes now have a very high exemption level, John, um, which emits everybody but the uber wealthy when it comes to inheritance taxes, there are still some very significant concerns and opportunities when it comes to inheriting money in terms of taxes. Um, of course, it's always more fun to think about how you're going to spend that new money, right? <laughs> and uh, there's lots you can do there. So you certainly want to enjoy, you know, your inheritance to some degree. But when you receive an inheritance from your loved ones, it comes with some potentially complicated tax repercussions. And spending that gifted money too quickly or thoughtlessly can result in some unexpectedly high tax bills. So you want to pay attention to these items if you're inheriting money. So what are some of the ways you can avoid unnecessary taxes when you're enjoying an inheritance from mom or dad? Well, here's what you need to know about tax-savvy ways to manage your inherited wealth in the different types of accounts that you need to consider. Yeah, the first one here is um, inheriting uh, IRAs or maybe a 401k. And you know, if a parent, spouse, or friend passes along a retirement account or an IRA, it's really, you got to know how it's going to be taxed. Um, you got a cu- couple of different options um, for the account. You know, it depends on your relationship to the deceased person. So a spouse may be able to roll the funds into their own account and an option other beneficiaries don't have. So you can just move it over, you know, in kind over to your, your IRA. Alternatively, a spouse can open an inherited or beneficiary IRA account which carries both part, the partner's name um, and from which a partner, uh, the spouse, can withdraw before 59 and a half without triggering the 10% early withdrawal penalty. So you do have some options if you're a spouse. Yeah, if you're a spouse, it, it, you, you, you have, like you said, some options and, and better choices. Uh, you can claim it as your own or you can <clears throat> start taking it before 59 and a half out of a beneficiary IRA. Um, but you know, if you're the heir and you're not the spouse, like you're a child, nephew, niece, grandchild, you know, you don't have the option to place the money in your own <clears throat> retirement account, your own IRA. So you have to hold it in an inherited IRA account. Um, if you want to avoid immediate taxes, which you certainly do. So the speed at which, um, <clears throat> you decide to withdraw the money can have big implications on the taxes. If you decide to take all the money out in a lump sum, like to pay off your house, which a lot of people consider doing when they get a nice chunk of money like that, um, you're going to get hit probably with a massive tax bill. So you want to be very careful about that. You know, for a traditional IRA, the lump sum is going to be treated as ordinary taxable income. 
And you can pay about 40% in taxes if you live in a state that also has an, an income tax like South Carolina and Georgia. You know, plus it can push you into a higher bracket, causing you to pay more taxes on, on you know, the regular income that mm-hmm. you have above that that threshold. So if you need the money right away, this might be your only option. But, you know, you need to try to resist that because you're going to have to set aside 40% for lump sum, for taxes and lump sum, most likely, versus maybe only 15% if you take it out slowly. Right. So if you're in a 12 percent tax bracket, plus there's a little state tax on top of that, you might only pay 15 percent if you take it out slowly over time. So that's the way we'd recommend most people do it. Otherwise, you're going to end up paying taxes the following April and there's going to be a big chunk and you're not going to get nearly as much money long term. Yeah, absolutely. If you can spread these distributions out over your lifetime instead of taking a lump sum makes a huge difference. In the industry, people refer to this as a stretch IRA because it it allows the investor to stretch out the time in which the earnings can grow tax deferred. You know, that way you are making additional earnings off of all the deferred taxes. So depending on what your age is, this tax deferral can easily add an additional 50% to the total amount of money that you benefit from over the life of the account. So just stretch it out over your lifetime versus taking a lump sum. Yeah, and so while the exact rules for how beneficiaries manage inherited IRAs will be determined by when the person died. Um, so if they died before age 79 and a half, or excuse me, 70 and a half, for instance, um, that changes it a little bit. Generally, a non-spouse heir, so like a grandchild or somebody like that that's not the spouse, they're required to take minimum distributions immediately um, called RMDs. Uh, required minimum distributions based on the life expectancy uh, within about a year of when they inherited it. So so it's based on their life expectancy. So, you know, you won't hit that 10% early withdrawal penalty um, if you take your RMDs, but you will have to pay ordinary income tax uh, on the amount that's withdrawn. And so the required minimum distributions generally are going to be a smaller amount than if you were age 70 and a half. Because usually you're going to be younger than 70 and a half when you inherit money, you know, and you're not the spouse. Um, it's important that you want to take that you take those minimum distributions, though, uh, within the first year by the required date, or you're going to risk being forced to liquidate the entire account within five years. So that's the rule. You got to take your RMDs if you inherit an IRA and you're not the spouse. Um, for an inherited Roth IRA, keep in mind that it's already taxed. It's money that's already been taxed, so you don't have to pay tax on it. But don't let that convince you to take all the money out at once, like a lot of people would like to do, um, because you know that can be a huge mistake. I mean, there's no tax on this money, so at the end of the day, as long as you take your RMDs out and you keep the money in the account, it can grow tax free you know, forever for the rest of your life. So um, it would be foolish to cash all that money out before you actually need it. All you have to do is take your RMD each year. You can leave the rest of it in your Roth IRA that you've inherited. It's going to grow tax-free as long as it stays in the account. Yeah, so that's that's a great overview of uh, IRAs. But if you receive like uh, stocks or mutual funds that are not in a, a qualified account or retirement account, um, you know, if you receive those type of things that were housed outside a retirement account, such as individual stocks or mutual funds, um, it's handled differently. The key to reducing any taxes on the sale of these investments 
is to remember what's called a stepped up basis. Uh, when your benefactor dies, when your loved one dies, no matter what they paid for the stock or the mutual fund, the cost basis steps up to whatever the price of that stock was at the date of death. So basically, you skip all the taxes. Yeah, exactly. So for example, say your grandfather purchased Disney stock for $5 a share, and when he dies, it's worth $100 a share. Um, you know, that's great. I mean, then the heirs, your tax basis, when you inherit that money, is the value when he died. It's not the price that he paid for it. So that means if you turn around and sell it, you won't pay any tax at all because you have a stepped-up basis to the date of death if you sell it right whenever, whenever right after he passes away. Um, and that can make a huge difference when it comes to how you calculate and pay capital gains taxes when you inherit something. So very important. Um, and take note that, you know, the assets, they may, they may have to go through probate. So probate's kind of the legal process, and it's the way the estate is settled per the will. So if the assets such as mutual funds or houses, they don't have a beneficiary designated, they have to go through probate. That can be a pretty time-consuming process. Um, That can only be avoided, you know, if you do proper planning in advance, Uh, you know, but you can, if they list those accounts as payable on death or transfer on death, TOD is what they, the acronym for it then the the then it will avoid probate and it'll go directly to the beneficiary. So that's a very important process to keep in mind if you have elderly parents that are looking at that possibility of passing on, you know, stock accounts to you. They want to get them in a brokerage account, get it simple simplified and also list it as TOD to name beneficiaries on those accounts. Um and keep in mind, you don't need an attorney to go through the probate process. If you do have to go through probate for your loved ones um, in South Carolina and Georgia, you don't need an attorney for that process. It's it's pretty simple process. It's not that complicated if you have a simple estate. And uh, if you go, get an attorney, you're probably going to needlessly increase the cost and the time it takes to to uh, to probate that process. Having said that, there's some great attorneys around and, you know, they do, they do certainly can help with Mm -hmm. complicated Mm -hmm. estates and they can do some great estate planning and create documents for you to avoid the probate process before that time comes. Yeah. And so another thing people inherit are are houses. Um, There's a stepped up basis, just like with stocks and mutual funds. Um, You know, we, we certainly recommend for married couples that make sure your house is deeded as joint, and you use or between the names versus and. Uh, if you use or, it uh, is allowed in most states. The surviving spouse automatically owns a house uh, fully with a half stepped up basis. And, you know, if it's not being passed along to a spouse, an inherited house usually has to go through pro- probate unless it's inside of a trust. And, you know, a trust is debatable. There are some people that believe in them. Uh, there is something called a personal residence trust that may make sense. Um, but, uh, that's a topic for another episode. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yes, detailed. It is. We're getting into the weeds here. No doubt. Yeah. And inheriting life insurance, the last one we'll talk about here. Um, the good news is if you inherit life insurance, it's totally tax free in an estate. But remember that, you know, just because it's tax free doesn't mean you shouldn't do some good planning when deciding how to, to, to use those proceeds. So, you know, how to spend it, where to spend it. So be sure you get some good advice on handle, how to handle life insurance proceeds, but it will be tax-free. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we see this all the time. Most survivors, they let those proceeds disappear long before they accomplish 
what the um, you know what your parents or whoever left it to you had intended. So be careful with that. In general, though, I mean, I know this is kind of a dry topic, and there's a lot of information here, details. But if if you take nothing else from this, you know, realize that it is complicated, and there are a lot of taxes you can step into with inherited assets. So make sure you get some help. You know, I mean, you you want to talk to a professional, you know planner like us or a tax advisor, a state attorney, get some trusted advice of, to help you make the most of your inheritance and avoid these large tax bills that we just discussed. Um, you know, find somebody who's going to take kind of an advisory and, and a educational role, not somebody that's just there to sell you products. So, um, yeah, so that's the deal on inheritance tax strategies. So just be careful there. And that leads us up to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this is a simple one here, Steve. You know, for for folks that are, um, you know, really keeping track of their budgets and they have a certain amount for eating out and so forth, there's a way to stretch that. And and, and the idea here is is that when you go to a restaurant, you know, a lot of fun, um, you know, instead of getting soda um, or tea or something, if you get water, it's going to add up. Uh, Matthew did a calculation um that uh, it's an average of about $800 in a year. And if you do that over 30 or 40 years, I mean, the numbers can be tens of thousands of dollars that you're going to save. Wow. So um, yeah, that's it, right. Just, just be aware as you go out there, you don't have to um, get the most expensive item. Maybe you can share an entree and you can, you can save that money and put it towards something that really is going to make a difference in your financial life, whether it's an emergency fund, paying off debt, funding Roth IRAs. Just be conscious. It really is. It boils down to you know, thinking about when you're spending money, is there a way that you can reduce those expenses so you can fund your priorities? Yeah. I mean, do you really need, you know, the cup of coffee and the glass of wine to go with dinner, you know, at the restaurant? I mean, that greatly increases the cost when two people are doing that. So just be careful, I guess, is the point. Um, You know, certainly you want to go, you know, have a date and go eat out sometimes Mm -hmm. and have fun, but you just got to think about it and plan ahead and not blow the budget on uh, kind of the the ancillary, you know, types of things that you add to that. So um, that is your prescription of the week, and that has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net, or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 